Hey guys, it's Dr. Chloe, and I just wanted to come on and give you a quick thank you. Your support over season one of the podcast has been incredible, and I'm so, so very grateful for each and every one of you. It really means the world to me. We are currently taking a short break while we regroup and reorganize for season two, and I can't wait to get new episodes out to you soon. I also want to let you all know that I am creating a new community in school, S-K-O-O-L. So check the link in the show notes. You can sign on and join the group for free for the next month. And in there, I'm going to be uploading a couple of different courses that I've put together in order to help you optimize your health and the health of your family so that you can really feel empowered in making the decisions that you need to when it comes to your healthcare journey, whether it's the food that you're eating at home or the work that you're doing with a practitioner. So check it out. I'm really excited to be able to connect more directly with you all there. And I'm excited that it's going to be free for the time being. And you'll be grandfathered into that if you sign up now. So check it out. And I will see you there. I hope everybody's doing wonderfully. And I'll talk to you soon. Hey, guys, it's Dr. Chloe. And you're listening to the Radical Remedy podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Thomas Leon. He is not only a pharmacist, but a doctor of Chinese medicine as well, and the CEO of Camwo Herbs. If you have never been there before, Camwo is an absolute institution in New York City, Chinatown. They've been around for 50 years, educating the public on the power of Chinese herbal medicine and filling herbal formulas for practitioners all over the country. I love Dr. Leon's unique approach to Chinese medicine. He's incredibly down to earth and has a great respect for both Western and Eastern medicine. And I found this conversation to be so helpful. And we dispelled a ton of myths around Chinese herbal medicine and really hopefully will help you understand more deeply why I love this medicine so much. Please check it out. Let me know what you think. Make sure to go over to camoherbs.com and find out more about what they do. It's really, really incredible. And I'm so grateful that Dr. Leung was able to share his time with us. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Please remember to like, follow, share. It means the world to me. All right, guys, today I'm here with Dr. Thomas Leung, the CEO of Camlo Herbs in New York. Camlo is an absolute institution when it comes to Chinese herbal medicine. They've been around for 50 years. And it is truly an honor to have you here to speak with me today. Thank you so much for joining me, Tom. Hello, Chloe. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here with you. So I know that your father founded Camlo, but when was it that you really decided that you wanted to follow in his footsteps or was that just a given from the start? <laughs> you know, I get this question a lot and uh, I grew up in the uh, the business. I think after I graduated college, in 1992, I worked a few years as a pharmacist. I went to school uh, in University of Buffalo. I came back to the business and I started working there full time in 1994. And that's, and I'm here ever since. Pretty much been here all my life. I love that you have the dual background of the Western pharmacology. Also, I've always felt like Chinese herbal medicine is such an incredible way to help bring Chinese medicine to Westerners or people who are less comfortable with Chinese medicine as a whole, because we can look at the Western pharmacological actions of the herbs, as well as the Eastern energetics of them. How would you sort of describe some of its core principles and how we look at herbs as opposed to how Western medicine looks at pharmaceuticals? Chinese medicine is about um, balancing the yin and yang of the organ systems and to maintain health. 
I mean, in a nutshell, that's what it really is. So, uh, and people also oftentimes attribute that, uh, you know, or they would say, oh, this is very good for preventative medicine. Uh, and it is. It's one of our strong points, but that's not exclusive. We also treat acute management as well, you know, acute conditions. We manage acute conditions as well. Uh, in Western medicine, our strong point is to treat acute conditions. We treat that very well in Western medicine. Uh, preventative medicine, we kind of, we're, we're, we're okay. We're pretty good. Uh, but in terms of maintaining health in Western medicine, we're really lacking, comparatively speaking, with uh, Chinese medicine. And, um, you know, to your point about earlier about me being a Western uh, a pharmacist and having Western pharmacology knowledge and also Chinese medicine knowledge. You know, the funny thing is in um, other parts of the world, like in China, Japan, Korea, medicine is medicine. And um, they choose what's best for the individual condition, individual presentation. And um, there's less of a delineation between Western medicine and Chinese medicine. That's something I wish that in the United States, in the West, that we are, um, I guess, moving toward that trend. That that would be, I think, would be very helpful for everyone. Public health. Yeah, it's interesting seeing the changes in our society as we're bringing Chinese medicine into hospitals and different Western medical systems. I know when I studied, I studied for a month in Heilongjiang University in Harbin. And it was amazing getting to see acupuncture with pharmaceuticals, with Chinese herbs, and exactly as you said, whatever the patient needed and however the patient was going to be best served. And I always think that that's the best way to do it. You know, Western medicine certainly has tremendous value in so many ways. But Chinese medicine, as you said, is really powerful in terms of preventing health, restoring health. health. And one of the things I've been obsessed with recently, my, my sort of catchphrase has been, you know, I think it's time that we start building health with Chinese medicine as opposed to responding to disease, which is typically what we're doing with pharmaceuticals. So if we can sort of get that hand in hand where people are are actually fostering health with herbal medicine, acupuncture, lifestyle, and the wisdom of, of traditional medicines, then when we're getting sick or have acute diseases, you know, pharmaceuticals and Chinese herbs can also be really phenomenal to respond to them. But Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things that I always have a hard time describing, so now I'm going to put it on you. Um, I would love to talk about, so in Chinese herbs, we look at the herbs as um, in sort of different groupings. Um, so in different categories and how we look at them. How do you typically describe that to somebody who's coming into camo and looking for some information on how Chinese herbs work? So why do we have herbs for phlegm or versus you know, how do we use herbs? Or if you want to break it down, maybe first doing acute versus chronic herbs, whatever sort of seems like a, a best starting point. So there are uh, gatekeepers, uh, the practitioners themselves. So people don't just come in and say, hey, I have this condition. Give me give me some herbs that transform phlegm or give me some herbs that do X and Y and Z. For most part, and there are exceptions, of course, for most part, people would see a practitioner because un- and unlike Western herbology, it's not like this herb is good for this condition and this herb is good for that condition. So, well, therefore, I can use it. As you know, as well as anyone, being a Chinese medicine practitioner is all about patterns, right? And have people 
may have the same cough, but they have to, they show different patterns. We have to discern, distinguish what patterns they have, and then then we have the appropriate formulations. So, and I think that oftentimes um, the the your regular uh, Chinese medicine patient are educated. At least in Asia, they are. Uh, here in the United States, maybe less so, uh, but. It's it's not something that they would come in and just say, "Hey, give me uh, this or what what herb is good for transforming phlegm and what herb is good for that." To them, it's you know it really shouldn't be about that. It's really you need to see a a practitioner who then give you formulations. And of course, probably there are exceptions, right? Uh, so it's not across the board. For, but most part, that that's how that at least in our in our setting, retail setting, that's how it works. Yeah. I guess what I I guess what I'm getting at is more I get a lot of people who ask, you know, and people constantly ask me to come up with formulas and just say, you know, I have radical roots. So we have patent formulas that are pretty safe for people to take off the shelf. I, I formulated them that way so that they were more accessible to people to get a taste of Chinese herbal medicine without having to go to a practitioner. Again, I will always advocate that custom herbal formulations and working with a practitioner is something that everybody should be doing. But what I get all the time is people saying, well, what do I do for thyroid disease? What do I do? What's the, what's your favorite herb for allergies or what? Uh, <laughs> so why is it that we sort of use Chinese herbs in what? what well, let's start with what are pattern differentiations when you talk about that? Like, what are what are the patterns in Chinese medicine? What does that mean? Yeah, so in Chinese medicine, we assign different patterns for different conditions. So, you know, a headache, for example, this is a very common. Now, in the West, in Western medicine, if you have a headache, for most part, of course, there's exceptions. I'll lower it up a little bit here just because there's uh, <laughs> exceptions here and there. Uh, you know, the... For most part, and I'll tell you, as a pharmacist, if someone has a headache and it doesn't seem like one of those, like, you know, acute situations, it's short. You can take an ibuprofen, you know, like Advil, Naprosyn, one of those NSAIDs, right? Now it's the right anti-inflammatory drugs in the aspirin family, and that'll be fine. In Chinese medicine, it's really not like that. We need to know why, uh, you know, what's the underlying cause that causes headache. Because in Chinese medicine, pretty much we cannot treat you unless we know what the pattern is. And back to the very beginning when I, of this podcast, when I was describing uh, how does Chinese medicine work, we balance the yin and the yang in different organ systems. And when that balance is off, it could present in a certain pattern and a result in, in a certain condition or, or symptoms, in this case, would be a headache. So one common one, for headache could be from, let's just say, liver cheese stagnation, right? Where people get stressful. And that's one way to treat the headache, uh, as opposed to another type of headache where uh, maybe blood stagnation, where the blood's not flowing very well. That could also be a different type of headache. The presentation could be often different, right? The signs, is, the, signs the symptoms may vary uh, a little bit. So, um, yeah, so patterns is what we need. Uh, it, oftentimes, we need to know what the patterns are. So it's always very hard to treat. That's why a lot of the over-the-counter uh, formulations that are with herbal medicine is very hit and miss because if you hit the right pattern, it works amazing. If you don't hit the right pattern, that doesn't do a thing. So um, 
that's why the Chinese medicine to reinforce just tie everything up. It's a very individualized medicine, and the value of the practitioner is very important. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I always love talking about whenever I'm on podcasts is I reinforce how much education we actually has have as Chinese medical practitioners. Absolutely, because so many people think that it's you know a six month certificate program. You know, it is just to get your master's degree, so to be a licensed acupuncturist, master's of Chinese medicine. You do three years of eight classes a semester, three semesters a year minimum, um, not to mention passing multiple different boards. And then to get the doctorate, there are different levels of doctorate, but then you're doing additional training on top of that. So it's just for the master's. It's a course equivalent, I believe, of four and a half master's degrees in three years or two law degrees. So I just love hammering that one (laughs) because... Really no, absolutely. Uh, in February, I'll be giving a talk. It says I'm also a farm, well, uh, a Western pharmacist. So uh, the New York State Association of uh, Pharmacists, they invited me to give a talk about Chinese medicine. That while I spoke to the organizer, the amount of schooling that a Chinese medicine practitioner has to go through, they their mind is completely blown. They would never thought that one, it would be that many years. Like you said earlier, master's degree, there's also a doctorate degree. So we're looking at four, six years on top of your undergrad. Yeah. Right. So there's undergrad that's not even factored in. So if you go through the whole track, it's very rigorous. So you're, you're not graduating until your late 20s, assuming that you're coming to a Chinese medicine school right after college. So it's, it's very rigorous, uh, rigorous and uh, people are very well educated uh, for that. Yeah, yeah it's um, I know I sort of stumbled into it. And I think I have one of my one of my teachers, Michael Young, would always say it's it's really a calling. And if it's not a calling, you won't stay in the field. And it's one of those things for me, I can say, you know, it's it's one of the greatest honors of my life. I, I could not be more obsessed with Chinese herbal medicine and, and the power that it holds. So I'm just really grateful that I sort of fell into it and I'm really excited to do what I can to try and help spread awareness. Um, One of the things that you do with Camwell is you guys do a lot of education for the public. Um, Do you guys, I know I've seen videos or pictures of you guys on social media with a bunch of kiddos in the store. How do you see Chinese medicine working with kids? How does that sort of play out for you? What kind of questions are they coming in with that that you might uh, be able to share with us? Yeah, so that's something that we love to do, and we, yeah, so you know, we 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 just we just love doing that, especially the elementary school tours, which we get a ton of in the uh, tri-state area, and they usually come around between April to June when they have the field trips when it's warmer, and so um, we have these second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, uh, all actually all grades. But the younger ones are really fun. They come in and they have no idea. They have no uh, biases, right? Like they, they just come in and they are very receptive. They're like they're empty slate, you know, just just open minded about. There's no prejudice about anything, and they're so receptive to that, and we love it. And we do. We basically tell you know, in in kitty terms, what Chinese medicine does. 
and how we differ from like a Rite Aid or a CVS <laughs> and the similarities and, and things like that. And um, yeah, they're very receptive. And then the reason we do this is we want the next generation to be aware of what Chinese medicine is, is not as mysterious and break a lot of the, the myths uh, uh, surrounding Chinese medicine. Because people have these preconceived ideas what Chinese medicine is. Uh, and they're very inaccurate. And so when they meet someone like me or my colleagues who do the tours, um, not so much the children. Again, the children don't really have much of an idea what Chinese medicine is supposed to be. But you can see the chaperones, the teachers, their mind get blown all the time. And I, and I really love that. And it's not just elementary school students. We also have high school students. We have colleges that come in, uh, regulars like King University. We just recently uh, hosted Pace University. That's a medical botany class. We have uh, medical colleges because oftentimes one of their class requirements is to learn about alternative medicine. So they oftentimes choose us. So we give them a talk. Uh, nursing programs, the classes come in. And that's not even talking about the Chinese medicine uh, schools that come in and do the tour. So we do this all the time and it's just to educate them uh, about just some of the things that we're just talking about now in the, in, in the podcast. And one of my favorite tidbits, I just want you to know, Chloe, and I think you will appreciate that, and this always mind blow people, is when I tell them about Chinese medicine, I said, do you know that who are the practitioners of Chinese medicine, who they are? And there was only, yeah. if they have this stereotype, especially the older folks, adults, they have this stereotype, some old guy behind a beaded curtain, right? Uh, they have this stereotype. And I tell them, do you know that the majority of practitioners are uh, of Chinese medicine are not even Asian? The, the statistics is 60% of Chinese medicine practitioners are white. Only 20% are Asians, that includes South Asians. And the balance of that is uh, are uh, Latinos, Jewish people, Blacks, you know, just whatever the demographics is of our country, right? So, and people just get mind blown, you know, like, wow, 80% of TCM practitioners or Chinese medicine practitioners are not even Asian. So it is, uh, and you know, let, listen, Chloe, you've been around at Pacific College at most of our um, colleagues, not a majority of them are not Asians. I mean, we yourself, look at there's other people you know. So I, that's one of the message I want to bring out there and let people know this medicine is not exclusive to Asians, you know. So, yeah. Well, I remember when I studied in China, I remember some of my friends that I made from the course uh, from the university out there, they were blown away that so many, it was mainly white girls from Boulder, Colorado, were climbing out there to study Chinese medicine and were so passionate about it. And they were like, why aren't you studying Western medicine? You know, and we were like, this is this is incredible. We're 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 all in non Chinese medicine, but it's. It is fascinating to see. I think a lot of practitioners from what I see, and you you can correct me or, you know, let me know what you your experience has been since you've been teaching for quite a long time also, is a lot of people who find Chinese medicine become practitioners of Chinese medicine do so because they have 
really challenging health conditions that they have then somehow found Chinese medicine for, and then Chinese medicine has dramatically changed their life, and then they become incredibly passionate about then passing that on to as many people as they can. So it really is a labor of love. And then another thing that I also like to point out to people is there's really very few places that you can get a job as an acupuncturist or as a Chinese medicine practitioner. So it's always hard for me when I look at other practitioners. So many people get out and they have to start a business. So if you are working with a practitioner of Chinese medicine, that person has not only trained as you know a doctor or a practitioner of Chinese medicine, but they've also gone through all the challenging hoops of learning how to successfully run a business in order to provide this medicine for you, which are really not overlapping skills. Some of us quite enjoy it. I think both of us are included in that very, very small minority. But most practitioners really have to fight kind of tooth and nail to get through the schooling and then to also provide the medicine for people. Oh, so absolutely. You, you, you hit the nail on the head. So in uh, China, if you are a Western medicine doctor, a Western MD, you also study some Chinese medicine. Not a lot, some. Uh, so to them, even, you know, so they, they have a working knowledge of Chinese medicine. Uh, what I wanted to say about that is um, in the programs in China, the, the, the four big hospitals, uh, university hospitals, I mean, universities, Chinese medicine universities, they have foreign programs. People from all over the world come and study there and they they're, they're taught in English like you were uh, so people from Spain Italy France whatever they all so they are, it's it's really worldwide so that's number one and uh, to your point about the um, starting your own business yeah and it used to be a lot more of that there weren't all that many jobs it's more now because now, especially in the big cities most hospitals now have a department of acupuncture Maybe 20, 30 years ago, not the case. But now, I can't imagine the hospital not having a department of acupuncture. So that's there. And then there are more places now for graduates to get a job. So there's more. So it's a, it, it's a little bit better. But yeah, you're right. You know, back in the day when we were uh, graduating, uh, you, you, you pretty much have to set up your own office. And, and not everyone is, uh, I would say, their personalities lend to uh, be successful in that um, uh, in that environment, but so it, it is very challenging, you know. So the environment's a little bit different, but yeah, oftentimes private practice does constitute a big part of our profession. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see the different paths that there are within there. And anybody who's listening, if you fall in love with Chinese medicine, I could not pick a better career. Although I haven't seen patients in a minute but i still love it so much um so why don't we go through what is sort of like a typical intake for somebody coming in to to see a chinese medicine doctor for the first time how does that kind of look well um the intake it's, it's really not that different from a western medicine intake i would say i mean as you know of course you know that the diagnostic with us is a little bit different right because I would say it's a lot different. Maybe it's not a little bit different. There's some, of course, there's similarities, but you know, um, but we would treat a pulse. That's one of the diagnostics that we have. The pulse tells a lot of quality. Now, in the old days, Western medicine, allopathic medicine, we do pulse take a lot. But with the, you know, with now more modern diagnostics, they kind of that skill set has fallen by the wayside. 
just not emphasized as much. I can't even remember a uh, going to a primary doctor to have a fear my pulse. I EMT all the time, right? You get a lot of important information. So we still retain that. Uh, another thing that we oftentimes uh, ask and Chinese medicine practitioners, we need to look at your tongue. I think your tongue can tell you a lot about your constitution. Again, in the old days, I would say, I don't know, maybe last century, a Western physician would look at your tongue too as well. So we still retain that. It tells us a lot of information. And then looking at your tongue, uh, feeling your pulse, looking at your complexion, asking about your extensive GI history with stool, uh, your urine, 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 the quality of your urine. Um, all these things will build up an important picture that lets us know what pattern you have. Uh, so it may seem a little weird for, <laughs> for uh, people to say, why are you looking at my tongue? And why is my complexion so important to you? These are uh, important pieces of information that necessary in by themselves, they don't really tell us everything, but it helps build the big picture. And then that plus the questions that we were asked about your condition will give us a very good idea what, um, you know, what pattern it is, or there's something that would be a right fit for Chinese medicine, or it's not a right fit for Chinese medicine. I think that is as important as you know, Going through the um, the Chinese medicine programs, all Chinese medicine programs, knowing triage is important. So, okay, something that we treat, something that we can treat, something that requires immediate uh, medical intervention. So I always emphasize that Chinese medicine practitioners are not ignorant to those things. We do that. We see something that requires it. We work for out right away. So um, yeah, we're roundabout answering that question. It's not too long. No, no, it's great. I, um, yeah, I think it's always funny when people, you know, if you say you're a Chinese medicine practitioner, I was just at the dog park with my puppy and somebody was like, do you look at, do you look at people's tongues? And they like, <laughs> you could see them doing everything they can not to stick out their tongue at you. And you're like, I mean, I don't care. I can tell you very quickly what your tongue tells. <laughs> uh, but it is an entertaining facet that I think a lot of people, uh, find very amazing. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's always amazing to me to see the many different layers of how people present and all the different signs and symptoms that their bodies are giving us without having to do complex diagnosis, which it's phenomenal to have these complex things. I always think of my son, Remy, he's got that rare genetic disorder that causes intractable epilepsy and cognitive disabilities and Parkinsonian like tremors, all, all sorts of stuff, right? And it took two and a half years before the genetic condition was actually diagnosed because it, it's so very rare. We had to do whole exome testing. And so as a practitioner of Chinese medicine, I was treating him uh, for phlegm misting the mind and uh, a wind disorder, essentially. And so it was entertaining when I got the diagnosis for his rare genetic disorder. I was like, nothing about this genetic disorder changes how I'm treating my child from a Chinese medicine perspective. So it's wonderful to have those Western tests and diagnostics, and they're really, really cool and interesting, but it is always mind-blowing to me to see how Chinese medicine, the framework of Chinese medicine and the way that we're able to view the body 
and its its mechanics and its ability to to function are still very valid and we can use that in any circumstance. I always say you don't need a Western diagnosis to see a Chinese medicine practitioner. We can really look and see what's going on underneath in a, in a really profound way. Absolutely. And then also nothing that I want to emphasize is that uh, Chinese medicine practitioners, we're primarily, most of us are, I would say, your uh, GP, your general practice. Just like your primary general practitioner, they don't make all the calls, meaning that they would send you out for diagnostics. So they would read uh, what the radiologists would say with on MRI or on a, an X-ray, you know, all these things. You know what? And that's something that we also do. They do that in China. We also do that too. So when we, and I, we talk about this in class all the time, if someone presents with an immobile mass in their abdomen, one of the things you do, you refer out the sonogram. MRI, find out, what they, find out what it is before you start treating them, right? So we are not, um, so we don't have blinders on. We say, oh, we only do palpation, do tuss, tongues and feel people's pulses. No, like your GP, like any, your, your um, we, ref, we refer out, we read diagnostics. We may treat, we may treat the same way or we may choose not to treat the presentation if the condition does is not a good fit for Chinese medicine, right? So uh, that's something that I always preach in class. We do not need to treat everything under the sun. There are some treat conditions in Chinese medicine we are very good at. And there's some certain conditions that we're not treating with Chinese medicine. Case in point, you get hit by a car. You're not <laughs> you're not getting treated by Chinese medicine. At least not right away, right? Yeah, if you uh, if you think you're gonna have a stroke, obviously that's acute intervention, right? So you wouldn't go to your GP when you have a stroke. No, you should be going to the emergency room. So there, you know, we we have to be practical about, and and and, and we, as Chinese medicine practitioners, are educated on these uh, uh, conditions as well. We know when to treat, when not to treat, when is the uh, a good option for us? Uh, as this is a good option for Chinese medicine, and when is not? So um, it's. And I, 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 I tell, and I want to tell the public about this because sometimes people have this idea and they, that, oh, it's either Chinese medicine or Western medicine. I hear that all the time. And the reality is that's not the case. People who come here, see Chinese medicine practitioners also use Western medicine, but they choose what's best for them depending on the presentation. So that's something that I think that it's real, it's realistic. And I think it's, it's, it's right. That's, that's the proper uh, way to handle your health. I agree with that. I always tell my patients, you know, start with diet and lifestyle and, you know, hone that in. Are you sleeping? Are you actually moving? What are you eating? Like, let's start with the bare basics because how many people in our society are actually doing those bare basics correctly, you know, and, and many practitioners are at fault of that also. So I'm not saying I or anybody else is perfect, but, but start with that. And then, you know, energy work, acupuncture, you know, moxibustion, herbs, but pharmaceuticals or, you know, like Western interventions are, are totally options in there also. And I think it's important to look at all of the options, look at where you are in your disease state, in your mental health state, you know, I often will have patients with, 
you know, very severe anxiety or depression. And if they need an acute inter intervention for a little while while they're working on building up, you know, healthy habits to build health and resilience, um, that can be really a game changer for a lot of people. So I think I think we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater when it comes to, to any medical option. So what are some of the misconceptions that commonly walk through your door when it comes to Chinese medicine? I know that I constantly get asked about rhinos, horns, and all sorts of animals, which we do use some animals in our herbal medicine, but I'd love to hear you speak about some of those myths. I wanted to take a moment and talk to you about Radical Roots. So I founded this company when my son Remy was diagnosed with a rare genetic disorder and intractable epilepsy. As adapter of Chinese medicine, I knew that the best way to support his complex neurological and physiological needs would be through dynamic Chinese herbal formulas. I also started studying the incredible effects of hemp and its ability to support and regulate the brain and the body. By combining targeted Chinese herbal formulas with complete spectrum hemp and using a unique alchemical spagyric extraction technique, we have created formulas that are true game changers. Honestly, I truly believe that these are some of the most powerful herbal formulas on the market. Please check out RadicalRootsHerbs.com, use the code RADREMEDY, and get 15% off your first order. I'm so, so proud of these, and I think you guys are going to love them as much as I do. I, so I teach uh, herbs at uh, Herbology at the Pacific College, and um, it, it is immensely frustrating to that we have that stigma in Chinese medicine that we use endangered species. And so in our program, we do learn about these, what we call obsolete products, uh, obsolete substances such as rhino horns, tiger bones. I just want to let people know that in our medicine, you know, like any other medicine, it evolves through the centuries. It's not a static where it's someone carved it in the side of the mountain in China and therefore it's gospel or scripture and then it never changes. That doesn't happen. Like any other medicine, things that work, okay, we keep. Things that don't work, we move, we move beyond. And it's very clear. Our medicine is very, very well documented. And through the centuries, you can see the evolution, what worked and what didn't work. And especially now, since the 1950s in China, they have more or less standardized uh, Chinese medicine. They've established academic institutions to standardize Chinese medicine. And, and they call it TCM, traditional Chinese medicine. And they set the standards what is what we should use while we need to okay those are the things we don't do anymore now get back to the endangered species and things things like rhino horn tiger bones all the 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 stuff that a lot of that was never really a big part of it in traditional chinese medicine like i would say mainstream chinese medicine Rhino horn is not that commonly used, even back in the day. But it takes a life of its own because how exotic it is, and then because of how illegal it is, 
And then you see people outside of our medicine are attributing qualities to it that's not even in the literature in the first place. First of all, I would say as a herbs professor, it's nowhere in mainstream Chinese medicine literature that it's even a half a Pizak in any way. No, <laughs> that doesn't even fit it whatsoever. It's, it's, we know, right? We, we, it's, it's not even in that category. Um, but of course, the people who are perpetuating these myths are the people who are doing the illegal activities and they don't have it. They don't care. Uh, so it's not something that is mainstream, but yet because it was used in our medicine at some point. And by the way, all, of course, in China now, all the, uh, the, the Chinese medicine universities in the curriculum, that's not something that we, they teach it as a matter of history, but not modern therapeutics. We don't use that. It's here in the United States, even more so. We also uh, teach that we, do, we don't use it. We use it for historical standpoint. So all the things that you hear about people uh, stealing rhino horns, poachers in Africa, that is contraband, organized crime, syndicates. They, that's not the Chinese medicine. People, uh, 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 it's almost folklore. It takes on its life, right? So you and I, let's take rhino horns, for example. In the old days, yes, there were people who use it for very high fevers, right? Like perhaps someone of meningitis, that's something they would use. Who is going to pay all this money for someone to poach rhino for meningitis? No one. So the people who want to perpetuate this trade, this illegal trade, are not going to say, hey, we can use this for high fever. Nobody, it's not valuable. So what do they do? They make up other stuff. Like, oh, it's an aphrodisiac and all these, which is not even part of our medicine. So I just want to let people know it's not part of our medicine. Tiger belts, in the old, old, old days, people may use it for arthritic conditions. Nowadays, we have so many other options. It's no longer taught as such. So now they say, oh, tiger bones can also use as an aphrodisiac. It thinks everything comes down to aphrodisiac. What? <laughs> That's the best seller for everything. And all these, are, they're not mainstream Chinese medicine at all. I, I know we're spending a lot of time, but I'm very um, passionate about letting people know that's not part of our medicine. And no, it's literally one of the most common questions that I get. And I have people constantly either harassing me on social media or uh, I remember even a couple of years ago, I went on on a date with somebody who knew that I was a doctor of Chinese medicine and owned an herb company, my second herb company, and was like, was like, you know, I would never trust Chinese herbs. You never know what they put in there. And I was like, first of all, I, I own the company. Second of all, I owned a company that filled formulas for practitioners all over the country. Third of all, I have a doctorate in this. Like, I do know what's going in all of this. Um, incredibly, you know, to to the detail, do I know what's going in there? And this is just not something that we do in our medicine anymore. But it's it's mind blowing how how far that myth has been perpetuated. Absolutely. And when if we have a chance, I don't know, that's one of the topics we can talk about is how regulated our industry is too. I would I would love to go into that. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, so one of the the uh, the myths about Chinese medicine is like a wild, wild west. Anything goes. It's not regulated. So number one, that's not true. 
The FDA stands for Food and Drug Administration. So herbs are not considered drugs, but they're considered food. So being the FDA has the F in it and, uh, for food, so they actually falls under the jurisdiction. They do regulate that. They regulate raw herbs as food. They regulate um, capsules, granules, uh, pills. These are processed uh, herbs or processed food. So they call it dietary supplements. So that's also fall under their jurisdiction. So they are regulated. So a lot of you think that, hey, no, they're not regulated. You can input whatever you want. No, there's a standard. The FDA in 2005 came up with this new rule. A new uh, has a legislation. They updated the legislation that if you're going to make something, right? If it's um, where there's herb, whether it is a uh, a dietary supplement, it is required to have documentation that it is what it is. That you have lab to show that it's safe. That includes testing for heavy metals and pesticide. That is required. Yeah, another another common misconception. Yeah, that did you, and by the way, if you grow herbs in the United States, it's not going through customs. You do not need labs. So if you grow herbs, let's just say we're in New York State, upstate New York, you bring it to market, no one checks. But if you're bringing herbs in, you, you need to have labs. So just let people know, because it's coming from another country, you need labs for sure. So now are there, uh, so this is all I'm talking about uh, raw herbs and I'm talking about all forms of, of stuff. When they're coming into the country, you absolutely, there's a standard that the, the Food and Drug Administration require, and it's called good manufacturer's practice. And oftentimes you see in that literature, it's called GMP, good manufacturer practice. That's a standard they set up that manufacturers have to follow. So let's quickly talk about many companies uh, uh, in in the U.S., when we go and buy and we go acquire uh, dietary supplements, right, from China, we have to find a factory that's registered with the Food and Drug Administration that has GMP certification. So the FDA is aware of them. And the FDA, by the way, have offices in China because it's not just a Chinese medicine thing. When you go to Rite Aid and you buy let's just say ginkgo, biloba capsules, it's the same FDA GMP standards from China, like that, that in those Chinese manufacturers. And that's how we protect ourselves as a country um, to maintain that standard. So it's no different from what, when you go to Walgreens or Rite Aid to buy these supplements, it's the same standards that hold. So people should know that our industry is very much uh, regulated. So it's not like, oh, anything goes. You know, so, uh, and people are oftentimes surprised to hear that because they think that, oh, well, just like, it's like, we just bring in whatever we want. Oh, you kid on. Yeah, Adam. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, that's definitely one of the misconceptions I see often is, you know, owning radical roots. So it's CBD and Chinese herbs. And I always joke, I don't know whether people are more scared of, of hemp or whether they're more scared of Chinese herbs. 
having like heavy metals and pesticides or just sort of like the, you know, whatever misconceptions that people are coming to Chinese herbs with. And I'm like, these are both incredible. And, you know, the research behind every single herb and every one of my formulas is profound. <laughs> and, you know, that it, that includes hemp as well. So it's it's always quite tricky. And especially with, with Radical Roots, one of the reasons I wanted to do this was because, um, and why I wanted to do the podcast, I mean, is with Radical Roots, I can't say anything about anything on uh, my website whatsoever because we have hemp. I think you had your credit card processor shut down or gotten trouble for it because you guys were selling hemp also. I think a lot of people don't know all of the regulations with that. And this podcast is not about CBD, so we won't go too far into it. But it is. It's such a pain. You know, I have a I have a very I have a modification of Shaoyaosan, which is free and easy wonder for anybody listening. It's like one of the most commonly prescribed Chinese herbal formulas for women's health. Um, it's also been heavily researched for its anxiolytic and neuroprotective properties, blah, blah, blah. Fucking amazing formula, right? Super safe for most people. Um, it'd be hard to go wrong with this one. And on my website, I wrote, this Chinese, the base of this formula is a Chinese herbal formula that has been used for hundreds of years to support women's health. And I had my credit card processor hold my money for a month. And I was like, support women's health? Like, that is not even... Like, that's literally as vague as I could possibly get. Like, I, I did not say endometriosis, fertility, like, absolutely nothing. I just said support women's health and shut me down. So it's, you know, I think the education component about Chinese herbs, letting people really know the power of our medicine, the versatility of it is just so important. Um, one of the things I'd love to dive into is, is what are some of the things that you see most commonly clinically or in the pharmacy like what kind of uh, conditions are you seeing people come in with that are are really well supported by Chinese medicine? Um, obviously, we don't treat any Western diagnosis. That's one of our regulations in our field. We treat based on Chinese medicine powder, as you were saying. But a lot of people come in with with Western diagnoses, and um, just curious what you guys are seeing a lot these days. I think we may be a bad. I may be a bad person to ask about that only because. We get such a varied, you know, we get prescriptions from all over the country, all different types of practitioners. So across the board, pretty much everything on that is sun. So it's really hard to answer that questions, but I'll tell you some top ones. Uh, I would say probably one of our top one is fertility, um, helping be, uh, older women older as in what tra traditionally people get pregnant very, you know earlier in you know in their 20s but women are having them later and later and as you get older your, your fertility rate tends to go down and something that that's one of the strong points of Chinese medicine we help build up right uh, the the body so that that way can help with conception and also sustain a pregnancy something that's Chinese medicine is very good uh, at and we oftentimes complement Western medicine. So even a lot of reproductive endocrinologists are very receptive of that. It's not competing, it's complementary. So that's a big part. That's, uh, that's one of the top. Uh, another one that we have a lot of is sports medicine. We're very good at uh, sports medicine, particularly the recovery stages of uh, sports medicine. So we see a lot of form because as people get older uh, or people who are more deficient, 
he, the healing process is much slower. And I'll tell you as a Western pharmacist, if they say, hey, what medicine do we have to help people heal better? I really would be tough to give you a good answer. Maybe you say, oh, calcium, that, but not really. Like in Chinese medicine, it's a no-brainer, right? We would uh, tonify uh, liver and kidney systems, and that would help build strength, uh, strengthens the sinew and bones, the bones and the tendons. Every Chinese medicine practitioner learns that in school. Very straightforward. So we do a lot of that as well. That's one of so. And of course, you know, your run-of-the-mill anxiety, colds, tonifying, a lot of tonifying formulations. But I have to say, if you ask me, like, what are the more popular ones, where Western medicine is not very good and that we are very good at, um, uh, those we do see a lot of. I'll give you one. Hormone replacement therapy is out in, in Western uh, medicine, right? Because it's not something that we really do anymore. But in Chinese medicine, we are very good at that. Uh, control of men menopausal symptoms and things like that. We get those formulas all the time. Uh, anxiety. Uh, and there's another one. Uh, what you said about Shaiyosan. Like a Shaiyosan modification-based type formulas, we get them all day long. With the medicine, I'll, um, what do we have? We have a lot of good zeolytics, benzodiazepines, things like that, Zoloft, whatever. You know, all of these things. But those things have a lot of side effects. And a lot of people want to choose it the natural way where we actually are balancing the body and we're optimizing the body's ability to rectify itself. Which I will always advocate, they, uh, advocate to try first, because a lot of what a lot of people don't know, and I'm, I'll tell you as a pharmacist, if you're on Zoloft, you're on it forever. That, I mean that that's just facts. You're, it's not like oh let me go on it for two weeks. You're, it's, it's a commitment for because it's really not addressing the root of the problem. You're addressing it very specifically chemically in that pathway. How that works, right? Right? It's serotonin reuptake inhibitor, right? So what does it do? Why is the system off? We don't even care in Western medicine. We'll just kind of fix that one little pathway. In Chinese medicine, we balance your body and let your body rectify itself. That should always be first choice in my book, right? Like if family members, whatever, someone who asked, that's what I would tell them. So these are the things that we're very good at in Chinese medicine. And Western medicine, vodka. and those are the type of formulations that we see a lot of. Yeah, I think. I mean, I'm personally of the belief that pretty much every woman should at least see an acupuncturist or a doctor of Chinese medicine a couple of times and see how that goes. I mean, the amount of hormonal issues in our society today, with the you know. And you print disruptors in the water and everything, you know, in our fabrics and all of the stuff. It's just, it's an epidemic and, and same with infertility and, and Chinese medicine is just mind blowing when it comes to supporting women's health from teens through menopause, as you said. And I always look at, you know, even just teenagers being put on birth control to regulate their cycles and their emotions. And it's like, you know, just, just get them on some, some basic herbs and they'll feel so much better. So that's one thing that I, I'm always advocating for, for women. No, I, I, absolutely. You know, it's not like that these things are bad. 
But that really should, in my book, as a pharmacist, it should be a last option. You know, I would always try to uh, rectify it naturally if I can. Let's try that route first. You know, and then oftentimes you'd be surprised. Many things can be can be uh, fixed with a combination of balancing the, the the body, diet, exercise. You would be surprised how how well. And people may not understand it. And they go, oh my God, Chinese medicine is a miracle. No, it's not a miracle. All we do is we we optimize your physiology to do its thing. That's all it is. Yeah. It's really honoring the body and reminding it what it's supposed to do. And one of the things I love about Chinese herbal medicine compared to even Western herbology is that difference in terms of we use herbs to, together to create dynamic formulas that, as you're saying, are addressing the symptoms, but also the underlying patterns of disharmony so that you're building health over time. And, you know, it really helps you, you know, learn to grow in health as opposed to just, you know, the Western mindset where you're, as you said, just hitting this one pathway and not looking at the downstream effects in different ways that that always seem to have some surprisingly deleterious effects um, when the research comes out later on. Uh, absolutely. One one I love, uh, one condition I love to talk about is lower tract uh, urinary tract infection, right? It's very common in that's just the way that the urinary tract of women is very susceptible to infection. So Western medicine, we're very good at giving you antibiotics. And that would take care of it. But guess what happens? Oftentimes when we give you antibiotics in Western medicine, it basically carpet bombs your the, 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 the flora, the normal flora in your gut. Right? And you end up getting a yeast infection because you kill the bad bacteria, but you also... Kill the good back and it could kill the good bacteria in addition to the bad bacteria, right? So the, the microorganisms and that really is not good, and the people end up getting yeast infections, and oftentimes it will come back and it come back. In Chinese medicine, what we do is we help address the pattern, which is peak peak oftentimes, and we let the we allow the physiology to rectify itself. This should always be tried first because it doesn't upset the nor- normal. And we know, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners who are female uh, uh, probably know this, that how many times they have UTI and they get over and they get antibiotics over and over again. It's like a, like a vicious cycle. And, and that's why there's antibiotic resistance in, our, um, in, in this country, overuse of antibiotics. So something that I would say is a strong point in Chinese medicine. You know, that's, that's one example of. Yeah, I had one patient who had UTI, yeast infection, UTI, and yeast infection, I think, 30 times before she came to see me a couple of years ago. And I was just like, okay. Um, <laughs> and and nobody, nobody stopped this cycle in any way, shape, or form. So we're just going to look at this now. Um, so we're, we're running lower on time, but there are a couple of things I still would love to pick your brain about. So one, obviously, colds and flus have been on people's minds these past couple of years. I think Chinese herbal medicine is pretty damn phenomenal at treating colds and flus. Um, what Are there any herbal formulas that you recommend that families might have on hand, like even something like cold quell or 
uh, yin chow, you know, just some of the basics and maybe a little bit of a description about like when you might want to take those formulas and when, you know, a pattern might or, you know, a presentation of somebody's cold or flu might be something that they really want to go and see um, a practitioner for how we sort of address acute uh, situations like that in Chinese medicine. Yeah. So cold and flu is oftentimes a f- viral. What do we have for viral in Western medicine? Not really anything. I mean, they, I think they have the new one now uh, that it's antiviral, but you have to take it within the first, I forgot how many hours, like maybe 72 hours. The rest is too late. And then even if you were to take it, it only sh- sh- like shortened the presentation, like your recovery time's a little bit quicker. Uh, oftentimes people miss that window. <laughs> just so you know. Uh, and, and it's not that effective. And this is just in the literature. That's what it is. Um, in Chinese medicine, what we do, one of the, the strengths that we have is to, two angles. One is strengthening your body before, beforehand. You know, during COVID, not everyone presents with the same severity, right? When they contract the virus. And why is that? And it's a multitude of reasons from a Western medicine standpoint. But from a Chinese medicine standpoint, it's just that our chi, our energy is our weight chi, our protective chi is stronger. And we can actually address that in Chinese medicine. For those who oftentimes get, uh, many times get sick during the, the flu season and whatnot, that's something before the flu season, we will build up the body with a formula. You know, jade windscreen, that's a very common formula, right? Many, ver- many companies make a variation of that. So I advise people to build that up before, not during, before. That's one thing. But once they have a cold, but like a, a variation of yin chow, many companies make it. You mentioned the name Copewell. Is one of the, that's one of the names you mentioned. Many companies make a variation of the yin chow formula, which is also good. But of course, I would I would say consult with a uh, practitioner to make sure that's the right formulation for you. Um, those things that we can do, and it would help shorten your uh, symptoms, or in the first case when you strengthen the body you will have maybe very minimal symptoms or no symptoms right because we know just because the virus is present within you doesn't uh, necessarily manifest clinically the same way so that's something to keep in mind um how you treat yourself is important your constitution matters and the presence of uh, viruses helps yeah i think there's just such a wisdom to our medicine and I thought that COVID was such a beautiful example of how we look at patterns in Chinese medicine because everybody was presenting differently. Some people had dry coughs, some people had really phlegmy coughs, some people had no coughs, some people had no symptoms whatsoever. Some people had, you know, sort of more of the steaming bones, wasting sort of exhaustion. Um, and that's really the the strength of our medicine is that we're able to assess both the person, their health, and the strength of the pathogen that's sort of attacking the body and and support them. And obviously, again, we can't say we treat any of these things, but you know, I think it's a very good idea to have a Chinese medicine practitioner on hand if you are sick. And it's something that we do treat very, very well. Um, Chinese herbal medicine, I think we have just classically, what, at least 40 different classical Chinese herbal formulas for colds and flus. So we can get very specific on exactly what we're doing. And then obviously in Chinese medicine, 
Um, I guess we didn't even get into this, but a lot of practitioners will customize formulas specifically for the patient. So you're really getting customizable pharmaceuticals. So if you have a severe cold or flu, you know, it is a really powerful way to go. Uh, and I'm sure you guys were right in the thick of it there in China. We were super duper busy uh, during that period. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what what would sort of be your dream in terms of where Chinese medicine goes in the States? Like, what would you like to see happen? More research or more inclusivity into Western medical systems? Well, um, one day Chinese medicine would be just called medicine. And so it will be Chinese medicine is like a, a branch of is Western medicine, Chinese medicine. It will just be medicine. And I think that we would choose, and that it would be ideal that people choose the best uh, option depending on the presentation. And there will be no hesitation. Because I think that the more educated you are about pathophysiology and the management of these diseases, you realize that each medicine can benefit with the presence of the other. Why are we choosing one? And not the other. Like it should be, we should have the full range of options for our patients, right? And it'll be my dream one day that in medical school, they will be using Chinese medicine and Western medicine as an option. Maybe it may take a few generations of uh, people in, maybe. So we'll see. I love that. For me, just one of the things that I'd like to add is I think, you know, as a practitioner, I just want to honor you and the work that you and your uh, crew do over at CAMWO. I am very passionate about the belief that nobody will, you know, that that as a field, we will not reach your vision of being a more inclusive and included medicine unless we as practitioners get out there and like actively educate the public on our medicine and what we're doing, what we're capable of. So really, it's truly such an honor to um, to get to speak with you today and to to watch you guys and all the incredible work that you've done over the past 50, 50 years. <laughs> Thank you for the kind words. And the same I could be said for you. You're out here doing this and, you know, spreading the good news about um, Chinese medicine and the role that we play. And that it is important for us to get out there and let people know. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Radical Remedy Podcast. The Radical Remedy Podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice, and no doctor-slash-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.